I want to speak to you about the promise that Jesus made, his last words in the book of Luke to you. And his last word is, I will give you, or I promise to give you what the Father has in store for us. And as we read the text here, we know that promise is the Holy Spirit. The promise God made was not made because we have sinned. The promise God made to us since the foundation of the world. He made a promise to send us himself. And when he made a promise to send himself, he's not only the one who made the promise, but he is the one who made the promise to himself and he kept that promise. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why Jesus Christ lived as us. And that's why Jesus Christ died. And then he resurrected and therefore completed not only the requirement that God required from sinners because we have fallen short of the grace of God or the glory of God. He has called us to live a righteous and holy life and we couldn't. And so he made a promise with himself and he fulfilled that promise. And on that cross, he said, it is finished. So what the Lord Jesus Christ did while he was on this earth was he fulfilled the promise that the Father has made to us. And on that cross, when he said it is finished, he has done everything that he has done for us. And now the responsibility is up to us. And I will talk about three things today. Number one is how do we get into this predicament? How do we end up in this state? And two, what happened in response to our state or predicament? And number three is what our response is and should be to what in light of what we have learned and what we know. First of all, our predicament. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The Bible talks about a person, there is no one on this earth that does anything good. So anything that you hear people say, I'm a good person. Even a person who came to Jesus and said, good master, he looked at the person and he say, why do you call me good? There is no one good except one who, is, who never sinned, and that was Jesus Christ. So when Adam sinned, the whole human race fall into total depravity, meaning there's nothing we can do. There's nothing that comes out of us will be right, will be good. And so when the person came to Jesus and said, good master, he's implying is that, is there a person who is good? And Jesus responds to him and saying, there is no one who is good. There's no person who is good. But there is a God who is good, who came and became a human being. He is good. He is the Lord. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, there is none righteous. We know this. You know this verse. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No human being is righteous. doesn't matter how kind and loving and generous your mother is or your grandmother is there's no one who is good we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god unless we disagree with god and so we will never stand before god because adam disobeyed god we all fallen short of this glory and what does god requires of his creation everyone who creates something if you have created you made something what you want ultimately is your creation recognize come to know who you are creation of god he has given us the responsibility to come to know who god is who he is and because we have been corrupted we no longer recognize god and not only that we don't recognize god we don't glorify him as god and thus the judgment or the condemnation of the creed of the creator upon the creature that doesn't recognize the creator is abandonment 
And that's what death is. Because God is the source of life. And if we are separated from the source of life, then where are we? We're in death. So if you create something and the thing that you create fail to recognize you, then what do you do with it? Everything dies because of the sting of sin. The death of Jesus Christ reminds us that everything dies. Even God, who came down and took on this form of a man, dies. Because everything that puts on this flesh dies. That's what happened to us as human beings. We die. And the effect of sin is that death. And because we can't do no good, we will face the consequence of our evil action. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. We think that the external influences cause us to do evil things. But Jesus said in this verse, no, it is in us, for out of the heart. Jeremiah says, the heart of man is desperately sick. So we have in us the factory that produced evil. And we can't run away from this evil because it's inside of us. The reason why we have this evil, the, the factory that manufactured evil in us is because of sin. And so man's purpose originally was to glorify God, but we can't do that. And the only thing we can do, the only thing that we know how to do is create evil, bad things, evil, wicked things. And the failure to acknowledge God, the Bible says, is a fool. Because God has made himself known to us so that we may know him and get out of the state. But the failure to acknowledge that or to recognize that, the Bible says, we are fools. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ today reminds us that there is a way to salvation, but we need to be conscious, aware, and knowledgeable of that. The consequence of the fact that we cannot do what is good leads us to what's called condemnation, the judgment. Romans chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation, anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. There is a judgment, there's a condemnation to every person, every act of evil that is committed. Nothing goes away. Everything, everything that has been created since the beginning will remain until the end. Every word of lies, every deceit, every act of evil will be there. Nothing disappears. Everything will be repaid to the originator of those things. And if we are evil and our acts are wicked and evil, in the end, we will stand before the judge of eternity and the sentence will pass down to every wicked act that we do. If this is not the case, then Jesus doesn't have to come down. But this is the case. The case for human being, the case against human being, is that we will stand before God who created us in his own image, who set us on a place, a perfect, and when he created creation, he said, it is good. And what do we do to it? We corrupted it. And so we have to answer that corruption. And when we stand before the Lord, we will have to answer for every wicked act that we do. If we are being honest with ourselves right now, without Jesus Christ, if you stand before God right now, what would your sentence be? What would our sentence be? What would my sentence be? 
frightening thoughts. That is why Jesus Christ had to come down. And the consequence of this wickedness that we have done is eternal damnation. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. God repay sinners the just recompense, or meaning the wages of what we have earned. If we labored, if you and I, we labored in our lives, sin, then in the end, God will repay us with those sin, eternal separation from Him. And we know that God is love, meaning love, true love is God. God is life, meaning eternal life is God. And the separation from God is the separation of love and the separation of joy and of life. And that separation, the Bible says, is eternal damnation. To be separated from God is to be damned eternally. But the story doesn't end there. The verse continues. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we know that the reason Jesus Christ came because we have sinned and we cannot save ourselves. We, God made a promise to Adam and that promise was the promise or the covenant of work based on the law. The law says, you should not do this. And Adam looked at that law and says, well, maybe God was joking. And so when he violated God's law, he broke that covenant. So the covenant that God made with man, he broke it. Now, if you make a co covenant with someone, if you make a promise with someone, and that person breaks that promise, would you make another promise with the person? There are no longer any trust. You can't make another promise with the person who is known to break promises. And if you make a promise with God, you can't go back to God. God made me another promise. I, I promise I won't break the second one. It doesn't work. Because the first covenant that we break, we bring upon ourselves the condemnation. And when God says, when you eat of this fruit, you will die. Meaning there's no longer a opportunity or the ability for us to keep any more covenants. But God made two covenants. God made a covenant with himself, and then he made a covenant with us. The covenant that he made with us, we broke it. And so he can't make a new covenant with us. So he made a covenant with himself. And I want to emphasize this. God did not react when we sinned. God knew we sinned. And therefore he made the first covenant, and that was the covenant that he made with his son, Jesus Christ. That was the promise that he made with Jesus Christ. And when God made a covenant with his son, Jesus Christ has to keep that covenant. And that covenant is called the covenant of grace. Let me explain the difference. The covenant of work is you do this or you don't do these things, then you will live. Then you will enjoy everything that God has made for you. If you break it, here's the consequence. You will die. That's the covenant of work. The covenant of grace, however, the reason why it's called the covenant of grace is that you don't have to keep it. The covenant of grace has no work built into it. You don't have to keep it. I'll tell you how you can keep the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is made with Jesus Christ. Now, God made a covenant with himself. And Jesus Christ, his responsibility is to keep that covenant until the end. When is the end? When is the end of man? When we, when we die. That's the end of man. So Jesus had to die. That's the reason. If Jesus did not die, then how would we know that he would not violate God's law? So he has to keep the law of God until the end. And he did. He kept the law of God all the way to the end and on the cross without sin of his own. He said it is finished, meaning he kept the covenant of work according to the law perfectly until he went to the cross. He kept it perfectly. 
Now, he did not have sin, and therefore his keeping of covenant was not for himself. So when God made a covenant with Jesus Christ, it meant that he made a covenant for someone else or on behalf of someone else. Jesus Christ was the covenant keeper that God made for us. Now the term us here has to be defined, and this is how we keep the covenant of grace. We keep the covenant of grace by believing in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? It does not mean when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, it may mean that. But what it means is that you truly receive everything that the Lord has spoken. You take it and you act on it. Live or die, you act on it. And you look at the history. There are many people in history who just mouth the word, I am a Christian. I go to church. I do these things. But then you will see there's a small minority of people who live and who die according to the word that they believe in the scripture. And those are the ones that truly believe and put their lives on the line on what they believe. And that is how you keep the covenant of grace. It's grace because you don't have to do it. But it's faith because you have to believe it. Now, it's also grace because it's not out of your own ability that you can believe something. It's because God has given you the grace to believe. Because how would you know unless someone tell you about what you should believe or what you should trust? Someone has to tell you. And all you have to do is Nod your head and truly hold on to it. And if they say, just walk down that way, and you look at it, it's dark, you can't see it, but you believe and you trust whoever told you, that is the way to life. You start walking down that path. That is trust, that's faith. See, that's nothing that you can do except to believe in what you have heard. And that's what it means to believe. What did Jesus do? How did God solve this issue of sin for us? Luke chapter 19, a couple chapters back from the book of Luke, verse 10, 19 verse 10. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only thing that he did was to incarnate in the human form and to go and find us and to save us. That's his job. That was his ministry. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came to seek and save that which was lost. So the term lost here refers to those who have been separated from God, went out of God's fold, no longer in a relationship with God. And Jesus Christ, his work is to go and find us and to save us. That's his work. So you don't have to go find Jesus. You do need to seek for the kingdom of God. But you don't have to go seek for Jesus because he came and he sought out for us. God is an active God. He's not a passive or reactive God. He went out there and he looked and he found you. He called you. Remember the 12? Did they come to Jesus? No. He went out there and he called them. That is the, the our Savior is an active Savior. He goes out there and he seeks and he finds and he saves the lost. Our sin, he took on himself. How does he do this? Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. We were condemned to die the death of sinners. But Jesus Christ, when he came, he, he took our place in that death. Now, let me try to explain this as, as simply as I can. You see, Jesus did not pay 
the debt to anyone. When we sin against God, what we have done is we violated His glory. We violated God's glory. When you violate God's glory, you have to pay God's glory. How do you pay God's glory? So how do you repay the honor to God? Well, you can if you were God. But you can't. You're not God. So how do you pay, repay an honor to God? Secondly, how would you repay an honor to someone who is eternal? You can't. God has to repay his own honor. If you impinge on a, the honor of the Almighty, then how would you repay that honor? There's no way. We are mortal. We are finite beings. God is infinite. God is holy. God is just. There's nothing we can do. So God has to repay his own honor with himself. Jesus Christ had to be God. If Jesus Christ was just a man, he could not pay God's honor. Jesus Christ was God, and he was eternal. He is eternal, and he's everlasting. And therefore, when we crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, he repaid the, the debt that we can never repay. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins on his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus Christ took our sin. How does he do this? It is the mystery of what God does. And he take our sin on our behalf. And he bore with him on that tree because he had no sin. Now if he had sin, then on that tree he would die for his own sin. But on that cross, he, didn't die, he did not die for his own sin. He died for the sin of others. And the sin of others were laid upon him. And Peter says, bear our sin on his body on that tree. He took our sin for us. Our sin has to go somewhere. If it does not go on to Jesus Christ on that cross, then it remains with us. And in that final day, when we stand before God, that sin will find us and we will be condemned. But if our sin is laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ, as it is in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 here, then Jesus Christ took our sin and paid for that sin, meaning now the debt that we owe, the debt of honor that we owe to God is now canceled. Because Jesus Christ is God, He is eternal, He took our sin, makes our eternal sin has a body. Our sin, when we sin against God, our sin is an eternal sin. And Jesus Christ is an eternal being, taking our eternal sin, placing on an eternal being, and die concludes our debt to God. Now the consequence of our sin on Christ is His death. Okay. For the wages of sin is death. Whether the sin is on you, or the sin is on me, or the sin is on Christ, the consequence of all sin is death. And so Jesus had to die because He bore our sin. And it is the death of Jesus Christ that wiped away our trespasses or transgression against God. And in 1 Peter, again, chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath one suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now the purpose of Christ's death is to bring us or to reconcile us. In case of Paul talking about the ministry of Christ, reconciling us back unto God. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he died for you and I in that tree. Not so that we can be guilt-free, we can be sin-free, and now we live our lives the way we want to. But he died on that tree, he reconciled us back to God, and now we become children of God once more. Now, what do we do? When Jesus risen and he talked to his disciples, or he gave them the commands, 
And he said, Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. It would be the most important thing that we should know. And the most important thing that we should know is we should know what he said. He opened their understanding that they might understand the scripture. So all knowledge, the, the knowledge of Christ or the knowledge of being a child, children of God, is, requires that we understand the Bible, understand the scripture. And therefore, this is what we're doing today. And this is what our lifelong pursuit should be. And that's why you should read your Bible every day. Or we all should read our Bibles every day. Because when we have been reconciled to God, we need to know how to live our lives as children of God. Before he ascended to heaven, he opened their understanding. Let me jump to verse 49, because this is the important part. Verse 49, I'll go back to 46 and 47. And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you. Now, we cannot do it on our own. There are two parts to our understanding. There is the acquisition of the knowledge, and then the wisdom that comes out from the learning. We can acquire knowledge through the reading of the scripture. Now, if you are diligent and you read the scripture and you, you dig deep into the Bible, you will gain knowledge. But what do you do with all this knowledge? How do you apply the knowledge? Now, Jesus gave us the understanding, meaning he opens our mind. Those who are regenerated, those who have been, for those of you who have been regenerated or have been baptized, we just take that as a sign for now. Not all who are baptized are saved. But all who are called by the Lord Jesus Christ are saved. Okay. So when you are saved, your mind became, becomes unblocked. You, when you read the scripture, you begin to understand what the scriptures say. Now, how do you apply what the scriptures say to what God wants you to do? How do you take the order or how do you take the commandment of God and apply it to your life? The Lord Jesus says there's a second part to that, and that is the promise from the Father, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to come on us, and the Holy Spirit has to operate in us, bringing this knowledge into practical experience and application. Without the Holy Spirit, our heads get big, but our body gets small, and we, we're uneven. We're going to fall over. What the Holy Spirit does is that He transfers that knowledge into action. He makes us into the instrument in which God will use to accomplish His will of salvation upon all. So the Holy Spirit is how God reveals His plan of salvation through the knowledge that we acquire through the scripture. John chapter 14, verse 26, follow with me. But the Comforter, meaning the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit is the one who will work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who will bring us into that aspect of God's ministry that make us effective instruments of God's salvation. However, the Holy Spirit cannot work if there's nothing in here. If you think about the Word of God is like the, the alphabet that you learn. And then you learn to put the alphabet together into words. And then you put the words together into sentences. And you put the sentences together into paragraphs. You can read those paragraphs, but you don't understand a thing. The Holy Spirit comes and He makes the meaning of what is written understandable to you. But if there's nothing written, then what is there to understand? Nothing. So we have to do our part in, under, in reading and acquiring the understanding because the Lord Jesus Christ has opened our minds. But the Holy Spirit needs to make the meaning become true and real. It's called revelation. Okay. So the Holy Spirit comes to reveal, to inspire 
to give expression to God's word. Now, what are we supposed to do? Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the commandment. God says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is why we need to understand the gospel. Because what are you going to say? How are you going to preach the gospel if you don't understand the scripture? So our understanding of the scripture equips us so that we can go into the world and we can preach the scripture. And how can you confidently speak if you're not inspired by God, the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has to inspire you. I stand here not on my own ability, on my mind, my own terms. Of course, I read and I try to educate myself in, in the theology and the doctrine, but the Holy Spirit has to work and I have to rely, we all have to rely on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit cannot work if there's nothing to work with. We need to acquire some level of knowledge so that the Holy Spirit begins to, to work in us. And what is that work? That work is to preach the gospel. Each one of us. That song we sung, there was a line that said, I preach the gospel to myself. We should preach the gospel to ourselves. We should be the first recipient of our own gospel, our own evangelism. The Holy Spirit does all the work. We're just an instrument. The Christian purpose is clear. We must preach the good news, but the good news must enter into our mind through Christ opening our mind and the Holy Spirit begin to reveal or to make clear the revelation of this good news. And we use our mouth to speak, to preach the gospel. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Apostle Paul says it is our responsibility to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It does not mean that we create our own salvation because the next verse he says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we are the instrument in which God works, but we need to put in the work. We need to become that instrument in which God uses to save people. That's who we are. That's what, we, what it means for a person to be a child of God. And we have a responsibility to our own salvation, work out your own salvation. And then once you have sought out your salvation, I cannot teach someone else if I have not learned the subject myself. Work out your own salvation so that you can evangelize, so that you can preach the gospel to others. Going back to verse 46 of chapter 24 of Luke, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoves Christ, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. What are we supposed to preach? Jesus Christ. What about Jesus Christ that we need to preach? That he died for our sins. That he was buried. And that he rise again on the third day. That is the gospel. We learn this. Verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The next thing we should preach is that now you hear the gospel, do you believe? I don't try to convince people to believe because I believe that God is the one who works in a person's heart to change them. Now, I will try to do my best to present the gospel, but it is God who gives us the grace to believe. It is God who gives us the intellect and the grace to hold on to the gospel. So when I see someone who hears the gospel and they are enlightened and you can see it in their eyes, and Jesus says that's what we should preach. We should pre preach the repentance and remission of sins. And lastly, he said in verse 48, And ye are witnesses of these things. We are witnesses of these things. We have a duty. We must preach the gospel. We cannot get a 
pass card. We must, each one of us who have been redeemed by Christ, must preach the gospel. It, all, it is our responsibility and our duty and it is the Lord's commission to everyone who believes. We must preach the gospel because you have witnessed these things. If Christ is alive in you, when Jesus was resurrected, the first person who was at the tomb was Mary. And this is what he told Mary. Go tell my brethren that the Lord is alive. You see, we, we all have, and it is not us that do the work. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the strength and the ability to do the work. All we need to do is move our legs, move our, our, our lives in the direction that the Holy Spirit is moving. That's what we need to do. Because the promise of God is this, and I believe in this promise. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is all. Do you believe this? Do you, if you believe this, then you will preach Christ and Him crucified. Let's come with me to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you as we reflect on your love for us. God, you could have, things could have been so different. But yet you set your love upon us. And you sent your own son out of love to die on our behalf, to reconcile us to you. And today, Lord, I pray for the church. For every person in this body of the Lord Jesus Christ to see that they have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to live a life, a reconciled life unto God as an instrument of righteousness, bringing salvation, first of all, to ourselves, Lord. Cause us to examine and to work out our own salvation. And then cause us, Lord, to get up and outside of our comfortability and into the, the challenge and the excitement of being an instrument that God used to save, seek and save the lost. Revitalize the church, Lord, in this time. The church is all over the world at this time. God, cause, I, I believe that in this time, you cause us to be introspective in our, in our lives, to see those things that are valuable and see the things that are unnecessary. I pray that as Christians, Lord, we would devote our time, much more of our time, into the things that are eternally essential, and that is the Word of God. Holy Spirit, open our minds of understanding and give us the revelation from on high that we might be the instruments, that, that we might be the, the sharp instrument that will cut to the heart and bring truth and sincerity into the lives of those who are in need to be saved, to be saved from this wickedness and this darkness. And on that day, Lord, when we stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we will hear those words that you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I desire to see, open my eyes on that day, Lord, and see a sea of people, innumerable, standing before the Lamb of God. And I pray that you will use each person here, young and old, wherever they're at, whether they are in a lockdown. God, I believe that your spirit can work and cause us to grow into maturity so that your gospel will be preached 